Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Oops, sorry, hold on. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Okay. Well, you're getting comfortable there. What I want you to do is, if you have the hard copy of the Bible or the app, uh, leave it open there in uh, Philippians 2. We're going to nose through some scripture uh, beyond verse 18. I want you to get your eyes on it. While you're doing that, I, I've got a question for you, and it's going to seem like a pretty trite question, but I, I, I think as, as this moves along, I, I think you'll understand the importance of it. Um, here's the question, and pretend this is with you, with your BFF, your best friend, um, over some coffee. No one else, no one else can hear you guys, um, and uh, I'm going to ask this question, and I want you to imagine of, of what you would say following the question, and it's a really simple question, um, how are you? Think about what you say. All right, this is going to be a little presumptuous of me, um, but I'm going to tell you how you are. I'm going to tell you how you are. The gall of that guy. I'm going to tell you how you are. Uh, you were once lost in a fog of brokenness and, and, and waywardness, and we call it sin and fragmentation, and God moved towards you in Jesus. He did. Uh, and you didn't earn it, and what you had going on here, and you've sometimes tasted this, is that it seemed like you couldn't reconcile the differences between a holy God and yourself. Um, it was beyond your ability to fix it. And he purchased you back from that brokenness by his son's voluntary work and person. And right now you have his spirit alive in you and you have promises from him and guarantees and hope and the full-on approval of God the Most High right now. And regardless of the fragments that you're sitting in right now, he is bringing you certainly and, and surely to fullness and betterment and wholeness and joy and celebrating. And your future right now is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Your future is not um, shaky. It's not iffy. There's not a high probability it could all turn sour. No, your future sits at the right hand of God the Father where there is nonstop gladness. There is nonstop cheer. There is nonstop rejoicing and honor and celebration and fulfillment and satisfaction. There's nonstop of that, and that's where you're headed. How are you? 
I think you're doing pretty great. I do. Now, if that doesn't ring true to you, uh, and you say, I don't really buy into or believe a lot of the things you just told me, then I would grant you that you're probably not doing too great. Now, how do you feel is a different question. But how are you? Not bad, more than not bad. Why do I start out like this? All right, so if you remember in Philippians 1, we're going through the Philippians in a short six-week series. Um, if you remember Philippians 1, um, Paul had a very, definition, a very different definition of a successful life than a lot of us commonly have. And um, it, his definition was this, is you can take away all of my church planting and all of my ministries and all of my travels and all of these churches I'm building up and all of my connections and all of my scholarship. You can take away all of that while I sit in a prison. You can take that all away. And what? I'm okay. I'm not crushed because church planning and ministries and scholarship and building, uh, b- building connection, that's not my life. Jesus is my life. That's what, do you remember what Paul said? That He changes our whole definition of success, a successful life. You can be sad that you lost something, but you won't be crushed because you're like, well, that's not my life. My life is found in Christ. Uh, but living with joy in the middle of pain and difficulty is difficult. If that's a successful life, I can get that. But is there a possibility to understand or experience joy in the middle of the difficulty? So I know if you look at the big grand scheme of Paul's life, yeah, I get how he could say that. But How can I have joy? How can I say what you said when I say, how are you? And so Philippians 2, this was last week, is is the the whole underpinnings of of the joy-filled life comes through just uh, uh, kenosis, if you remember. Kenosis meant emptying. And emptying, Jesus empties of his glory and so that you get the glory. We're glory guzzlers, and we, glory, we try to guzzle in glory from all these other different angles. But Jesus says, I am going to empty myself of glory and give that to you. And that's humility. And so I would say this is, is humility. And we said it was um, one of the shyest of virtues. You can't practice humility. Because why would you practice humility unless people said, oh, that's great. You're really great at humility. So you can't practice humility. You have to chase the person who is humble. You put your face on him. And then humility comes about. And joy is the carbonation that comes off of humility. All right. This is where we're going to go. This is what I I want us to look at this week. Is we're going to look at how joy happens in the middle of difficulty and pain and suffering. Because you've probably heard that from Christianity, but you're like, that seems a little thin. I don't know how that could happen. And so this, this is the shape of where we're going to, uh, we're going to. Let's look at the premise of joy, the very underpinnings of joy, which we said was humility. Okay, what do we mean by that? Um, and then we're going to look at the peculiar act. I, I had trouble saying this this afternoon. Peculiarity 
of joy, the uniqueness of joy, the, 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 the radical contradistinction of joy from the rest of the world. We're going to look at that, and then we're going to look at persons of joy. We're going we're, we're to have three examples of people that are operating in humility, and joy is bubbling up in their life. Okay, so look at, look at verses uh, 12 and um, 13, and let's look at the premise of joy. So uh, this is why I want you to have your, your, your hard copy or your app open is because we're going to march through a lot of scripture and I want you to put your eyes on like, oh, that's where he's getting it. That's where he's getting it. Okay, so Paul starts out, he says, um, beloved, therefore, because Jesus is so humble and he emptied himself, therefore, because of that, beloved, beloved. All right, that word is a nickname from a grandparent to a grandchild. That's what, that's what this is. Um, it would be like saying, hey, boo-boo, or peaches, or sugar mouse, or little guy, or little shaver, or chip, or junior, like whatever your pet names are. I don't know what, the, I don't, grandparents are like, no grandparents says those words, that's your words, buddy. Okay, I'll be a grandparent, hopefully not soon. Um, so, all right, but nicknames matter for ill or for good. All right, I talked to a guy this last week, and he said, growing up, um, his dad was a hard man, and his dad would call him fat failure and little turd, except there was something lost in translation. Like, I, he just gave me the English part. But that's the equivalent of it. And he grew up under this. That was his nickname, and he hated it, and it gave him so much shame. And finally, this was as an adult, like he was 40-something, and he went to his dad and he goes, you will never call me that again. Do you know what that's done over my life? Do you know what that's done? And his dad said, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. I won't do it again. Um, it, it, it came out like his dad had grown up in an orphanage. And that's all he'd been called. And so he took his nicknames and he put the nicknames on his son. Like, it can ruin you, or it can, nicknames, usually what they connotate for something that's really close and intimate, we use them in closer circles, or it can do something really, really powerful and beautiful. And this is why he says, beloved. Because I don't just love you, I cherish you. I am glad that I have affection for love, because we could use love in a different way. We'd be like, hey, have you heard your parents say this? Hey, I'm only doing this because I love you. Um, what's coming at you? Something that probably doesn't feel very good, right? I'm doing this. That and that's true love. I actually affirm that as a parent. I've said those words. I'm doing this because I love you. But he doesn't say that. He says, you're beloved, and I have deep relational affection that I love you. So, so wow, I'm really beating beloved, right? But I want you to, I'm doing this as an example. I'm not going to march through all these verses like this. But this is an example of these words matter when we study them because they're communicating something from the heart of God to your heart. Beloved, boo-boo, peaches, whatever, <laughs> chip, junior. <laughs> what did I say, sugar mouse? What is, who uses sugar mouse? And then he says this, as you have always obeyed. And we're like, really? The church at Philippi always obeying? What? We know this. What? Our theology says no one obeys. No, this is what he means by this. Is the church at Philippi listened and received Paul in a very, very different and special way than all of the other New Testament churches. They, were, they received it 
and they didn't ask questions. If you're talking to the church at Corinth, you had to just argue with the church at Corinth. Like, I'm going to come at this eight different ways, we're going to have a debate, and there's going to be a dialogue, and there's going to be 80 forms of complexity, and then maybe they're like, well, I see your point, right? But not Philippi. Not the Christians, the new Christians at Philippi, they said, that's true, and we want to follow Jesus, that's true, and we want to follow Jesus. And there was joy that came from that. Check this out. Um, uh, in, in, in Philippians, in this letter to the Philippians, um, sin is not mentioned once. You can't say that about the other New Testament churches. Now, it, it's not that they didn't have sin. It, it, they had problems, but this is it. it was, there was a sweet receipt, and there was progression. And it was progression in joy. So... Uh, this, as you've always obeyed, um, in Philippians, there are over, I, I'm limiting to like literal, but if you talk about ideas, it's more than this, but there are 19 references to joy in Philippians, and there's only 104 verses. Like that's a, if, if, I, if, if, if I talk about ideas, we're talking about maybe a little around 40% of the book is talking about joy, gladness, rejoicing, cheerfulness, celebration, whatever it is which matters to us because the practice of joy that Paul has had me is because he's, remember, he is in prison. He's in prison. Think of this. When Paul is writing this letter, he's chained. Now, I, I told this the first week, I think, or second, I can't remember when I said it, but um, Paul is chained to one of the MMA guys that are one of the palace guard, the imperial guard. He's changing them 24 hours a day. So as he's writing this, he's like, hey, can you scooch over? Can you try not to get your taco sauce on my papyrus here? Like, like, can you, is, like I'm trying to finish this thought, this really sweet thought. Could you just breathe through your nose and not your mouth? Like, could, Paul doesn't say that, guys, right? That's where Tim went extemporaneous. Paul didn't say that. It's not in the text. You knew that. But check this out. There was such a connection between Paul and in this new group of Christians at Philippi that they felt were on the hook for Paul in prison. And what do I mean by that is in a, this is in general, we have exceptions, but general rule for Greco-Roman um, prisons, they supply the building, they supply the manacles, and they supply the guards, but they don't supply the food and the clothing. <laughs> They don't supply that. So if you go to prison and you don't have a safety net or a network of people and friends and family to take care of you, you will wilt in a Roman, you will die in a Roman prison. And so there was such a connection between the, the believers at Philippi that, that they felt responsible. This is, they're going to help. We're going to get this a little later. It's like, oh, we want to help you with money so that you don't die in this, in this Roman prison. Um, because... Uh, uh, they're also thinking this. There's such a connection here is what happens to this church and all of these amazing movement that Paul, what happens if he dies and leaves us? Now, um, this section of uh, verses 12 through 18, it brings up a classic theological question in Christianity. And here's the theological question is, um, because it says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. So all of the theologians freak out and they're like, okay, how much does God do and how much do I do? 
Okay, it's the classic question. What are the edges of, 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 of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility? What are the edges of that question? It's a very good theological question. Um, now, I'm just going to do it briefly in a sidebar. Look, um, you don't make yourself alive in Jesus. No one does. God does salvation, period. Okay? But this is what he does, is once we're alive, he changes our desires to where, oh, you know what? I actually want to be kind to people, and I hate that I hate them, right? I, it's not like you have to forgive people. You get to forgive people now because you have changed desires. And so think of it like as a, uh, um, uh, like uh, two petals, right? He has done this thing in you and brought you alive. That's all him. And he's asking you to participate in your own renewal and the renewal of the world by riding that bike. Okay, that's a sidebar, but it, that's not a bad question. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility, I wonder what it is. Let's talk about it, let's debate it afterwards. That's a great question, but it's a really bad question for this text. Because Paul has a bigger point. He's saying, look, I'm in prison. Here I am in prison. I've got no trial date, I've got no release date. Look, I'm gonna tell you guys something. I'm not the crucial piece. Thanks for the likes. Thanks for the love. Thanks for the support. But I'm not crucial to your salvation. Let me put it this way. I am not the worker. Paul is saying, Paul is in essence saying this. I'm not the worker of salvation in you. Also, you are not the worker of salvation in other people either. See, that's the premise of joy. The premise of joy is this, is God is the primary, principal worker, the, the crucial piece of all things. No preacher, no parent, no um, approval gatekeeper is your salvation or your development. Also, you are not the Holy Spirit. You are not the saver of anybody. Also, not one person can be the Holy Spirit for another person. Um, let me caution, let me, let me qualify that. I, if I have four friends and one of them says, hey, Tim, I think you should move to Russia. God is telling me to do so. I'll be like, huh, don't know. If I have four friends and they all come to me and they say, hey, Tim, we think you should really stop using that word. My opinion is less than four spirit-occupied people who have a say over my life. Now, that goes anti-American individuality. I'll do what I want. But this is what we believe is that no one person is the Holy Spirit for you. That's what I'm saying. So that's the guard that we put up. Um, what does that look like? I say this as a parent. This is probably where I'm going. This is probably I feel this one the most. I'll give you some other. As a parent, I've got to tell you this, is your decision tree and matrix. We, we said we were going to do this sport and pick this instrument and stay away from these friends and hang around these families and do, do, do and all that decision tree as a, as a parent. Um, 
that's not the savor of your child. I'm just, I gotta tell you that. Because guess what? What's gonna happen is if they pick the right school and the right career and they call you on Sunday evenings. You know what you're gonna do is you're gonna have pride and you're gonna be like, yeah, a lot of people should mechanically follow all these other decisions. You're like achieving saving through this mechanical following of the law. And it will kill other people. And you'll feel superior because like, well, check our kids. They picked the right career and the right school and they did the right things because of all these decisions. No, that's not the savor of your child. Right? He seems a little animated tonight. I don't know why. But the other side is this. is like you, they pick the wrong school and the wrong career and they embarrass you socially and they do, don't do all these things. And what are you going to do is you're going to have all this sadness and regret and you're going to look back and you're like, we really should have made some different decisions. We really should have. And it will depress you. That's not the savior of your children. I, look, I'm, I'm, I'm yelling at me. I'm not even yelling. I, I'm, I'm animated. I'm talking to my own heart here. As a spouse, you are not the fixer in the Holy Spirit of the of your spouse. You're just not. It won't work. As a friend, you're not the solution to their deepest longings and cracks and problems. You can never fill that. You're not the savior of your friend. All right, I got to move on here. The premises of joy is this, is to work out with fear and trembling what the spirit of God has given you and nobody else. And that dependence on God's spirit where he has you is going to look very, very different. You know, piety may look very, very differently from your sister or brother inside a church community. Like, this is an example. is like you can have a family, and let's say they have the calling and, and the giftings and the resources and the endurance to adopt someone with special needs or otherwise or different, whatever it is. Do you know what you can't do is family A that adopts, um, family B, first of all, family A can't wear that as a spiritual badge and say, we're better, we're following Jesus better because of this. No, they can't do that. But family B can't look over there and say, oh boy, if we did that, if we did that, no, no, no. Family B, you have been gifted with abilities and resources from God's spirit that are different and they're gonna look very different from there. And you may not be called to adopting, but you're gonna be called to do something else. And both families are gonna be like, whoa, you know, maybe I should do that. No, you shouldn't do that. You should do what God has called you to, okay? I I I need it for myself. All right, this, this is the point. Gabe Pye said this last week. I, I think he, he didn't know it, but he was quoting Robert McShane. For every look at self, take 10 looks at Christ. So when you look in the mirror and you're consumed with all your brokenness and what you need to change and you look down at your navel, look, it's, the mirror is just giving you back the problem of you. Um. The premise of our joy is Jesus Christ and like him doing it. And that's why Paul says, hey, look, you guys got to figure that out by yourself. You don't look to me for that. I'm not, your, I'm not the premise of, if I die in this prison, I'm not the premise of your joy. All right, let's look at the peculiarity of joy. Um, uh, th- we're in verses 14 through 18 here. Um, and and these, these are the phrases I want to pick out, and I want you to get your eyes on them so you know that it's coming from the text. Is Paul says this, is do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
okay, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. Now, and then this is another phrase, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights. That's kind of what I want to pick out here. Um, do you guys have any examples of grumbling or contentious disputing in our culture? <laughs> All right, let's just, you know what? Let's just put it on CNN. Let's put it on CNN. Turn on CNN. Grumpy and contentious and disputatious. But MSNBC, they seem to be trying to find this middle ground, and so let's flip it there. They are grumpy and contentious. Let's, oh, well, let's go to Fox. They are grumpy, and they are grumbling, and they are contentious. It doesn't matter where you turn. You're going to find grumpy, grumbling, and contentious, and people are ready to fight. Uh, if you go on Rotten Tomatoes, you know, because surely... Um, the lovers of movies all get together and, and talk about, like, what would be the best movies. No, they are grumpy and they are grumbling and they are contentious. Right? A new game, video game comes out. Let's go to Metacritic. Hey, you know, we love video games. It's amazing. I get to sit here, do nothing on my couch, and this 3D world opens in front of me. And you know what? All the reviews are grumpy and grumbling and contentious. I can't believe they had the UI of that game. It just needs to be a slightly, slightly paler color of blue. And then I, I might have given it a 5 out of 10. I used to go to this coffee shop, and in the corner, every single morning, old guys would congregate, about six of them, six, seven, in the corner, and they'd get their coffee, they'd get their bagel or pastry, and, and, and I mean, grumpy old men is, like, real. Like, they are contentious, and they talk about, whether they're talking about sports or politics, they are grumbling, and they are contentious against the world. And that's supposed to be my retirement, um, guys, you, you have, have you been around people that are just joy and life vacuums over your head? <laughs> like, I could say something. I love that IPA. It was delicious. Yeah, well, I wish they'd made a regular amber ale instead. I, uh, I remember I was like, man, Hamilton was engaging and compelling, and I thought it was so unique, and uh, yeah, the seats were bad, and it's too hot, and I can't find tickets anywhere. That's hard to do, actually. I need some water. Um, some of you have, now let's, now let's push a little bit. Some of you have grown up in a family that was not marked by joy and celebration and honor. It was critique every day. It was do more, it was do your job, please do not embarrass this name. Many, many of you never heard the words, I am so glad you are mine. Let's celebrate what you've done. You know what? You know what? We're going out tonight. Junior, miss, whatever. They, we are marking this day. It's not even a birthday, but we're, we're celebrating. Let's have cheer. Let's have a party around here. 
You know, um, general rule of thumb, religious people hate gladness and parties. General rule of thumb. Um, Just interesting, in the prodigal son, the father's response is, let's have a party. I'm not going to unpack that. I just thought it was awesome. I'll unpack that later. Now, this is what Paul says. He says, you are lights in a crooked generation. You're lights in a crooked... Okay, so Tim, which one is... Which generation is probably the crooked one? Um, Okay, all of them. Only the ones that happened after the fall. Those are the only generations that are crooked, okay? Um, this, This is what Paul is saying. Hold, he uses this phrase, hold fast to the word of truth. Hold fast to the word that is not the word of CNN, embassy, MSNBC, or Fox. Hold fast to the word that is not the religion of self. What is the religion of self? And we talked about this last week. The religion of self is this, is what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? I'm going to... I'm going to approach every situation and say, what do I get out of it? What's the move here? What's the angle? Like, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And our culture loves the religion of self. Just, you know, it's about you. Find your personal day. Just you find you. You do you. You, you get you. You preen you. You manicure you. You take care of you. Our culture loves you. Let me say this. What's in it for me is absolutely demonic. You know what's godly? Philippians 2, last week. You know what's godly? What's in it for you? What is in this for you? Hold fast to the word of truth that is not necessarily best practices from the world. Could be. There's an overlap of truth. Hold fast to the word that has stayed constant and has never changed, hasn't vacillated, hasn't changed its mind, hasn't gone with whatever the conventional wisdom of the day is. Hold fast, and you're going to be light. Now, the reason is this, is um, the world is mostly grumpy and contentious. And joy is peculiar. It's odd, even. So if someone tells you, and they're always grousing, I hate our leaders. I hate our elected leaders. They're grumpy and contentious. This is the practice of joy. You know what joy says? And it's peculiar and unique and odd. Joy says this. Isn't it great that those leaders do not direct our paths? How great is that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He will make your path straight. Right? Like how great is it? Or Joy says this, isn't it great that their power is never above the power of my father in heaven? Isn't it great? That's joy talking. Isn't it great that they're so limited? You know what? Um, Leaders of the world are like water through the channels of the Father's hand, it says in Proverbs. Isn't it great? Isn't it great that they're going to report someday to the judge who will do right and make right? Isn't it great? That's joy talking. Joy is so markedly, radically different and unique and peculiar. Um, when you have a person that is marked by joy, you have an MVP in your life, just an absolute MVP. They're a light to a crooked generation. They're a light to you. Um, think of this. 
Is there someone in your life right now, think of this, that just thinking about them kind of makes you smile? You're like, yeah, they're, they're, they're just great. What kind of powerful mojo is going on there? Joy and mutual celebration and honor and respect. Think of the people. Um, Think of the people that after you leave them, after the coffee, after the party, after the dinner, after the chance meeting, not chance, I don't believe in chance, in Trader Joe's. And think of this as you're not sapped and you're not wilted, and you're not sucked. Do you, do you, don't you think that joy in another person is powerful? It's the difference between I was in a dark place and I am around person X or Y, and I think I'm gonna go on. I think I'm gonna take a couple more steps. Man, that encouraged me. Joy is powerful. So let me give you three examples, three persons of joy. Damn, going a little, okay, okay, I've got to speed up. We need, we need persons of joy and we need examples. Let's get it from the text. Um, when we honor and celebrate others, um, there's, this, there's this, that's humility, others, right? And I'm going to honor someone else. Um, we're going to see some carbonated joy come, come up. And we, we're going to see that joy happens in a community. Um, when you celebrate who others are, and the gifts that they have. It doesn't matter if they're on a stage or they're behind the scenes. It doesn't matter what they do, but their function, right? When you celebrate and you say, that's awesome, it produces communal joy. Um, So let's look at Timothy. Paul mentions Timothy in verses 19 through 24. Um, And I I just want you to think of... uh, and you're going to have to put your nose in it to see it. But I want you to think of the joy and the celebration and the affection that's happening between Paul and Timothy. And, and I'm going to give it some legs here. Is um, Paul says this, you know what you need to the Christians in Philippi? You know what you need? Um, you need to get some time with Timothy. You need to get some, my pal Timothy, you need to get some time. Because guess what? I will get cheer that you guys are together, and he will bring you cheer, and then he's going to bring the cheer that you all enjoy together, and he's going to bring it back to me. Okay? I don't have, this, Paul literally says this, there is nobody else like this dude, Timothy. Paul says that in, in he doesn't say dude, but it says there in 19 to 24. Uh, think of it this way. From what we know, Paul had no son. He had no son. Um, from, from the text and from the scriptures, um, it seems like Timothy doesn't have a dad. It sounded like he had an awesome grandmother. But it sounds like he didn't have a dad. Um, And there is this magic that happens with Paul and Timothy, and it's like they feel closer than their own family. Have you guys ever felt that around a kindred spirit? You're like, wow, I feel closer to them than I do my brother or sister or um, or my immediate family. I mean, it's crossed Melissa, our minds. We're like, why do we spend the holidays with our families? Like, wouldn't it be great to be around people that we feel closer with? But maybe we shouldn't air this podcast. But, but check this out. In Acts 14, um, Paul gets rocked. And when I say rocked, literally rocked. That's where Paul gets stoned. And Timothy sees this. Um, 
Uh, so Paul is outside of town, and, and look, look, I've had um, a pumped-up Nerf bullet hit me in the right place, and it kind of stings. I'm like, ow, ow, and that's a Nerf bullet. Think of, think of rocks just drilling you from all sides. That's a bad day, okay? That's a, ba- that's a bad day. Well, he comes to, right? He comes, and he's revived, and if I was Paul, I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to actually, I'm going ha- to retire now. Right? Remember Paul? He's been like shipwrecked twice. Like who gets shipwrecked twice in one time, like in a lifetime? Once, maybe. Gets bitten by the poisonous snake. I mean, he's had a rough go, beaten up. He's received the, okay, I'm, I'm not, that's not my point. Okay. So Timothy sees him and he goes, I'd like to sign up for the assistant pastor position, please. What? Who does that? Who sees firsthand, wow, huh, stoning is a possibility. Um, Are there benefits? Because I'm interested. Um, This is beautiful. Paul celebrates Timothy for not just having intentions of love, but saying, no, I'm going to be close to Paul, and it doesn't matter if I get rocked. And when he commends them to him, he says, the joy that I have in Timothy being so close, I want you to experience that joy too. Um, All right, uh, let's talk about Epaphroditus. Who's named their kid Epaphroditus? Ep for short. You guys know anybody who's named their kid Epaphroditus? You just don't see it anymore. Here's the story there. I told you the the prison... um, if you're in prison, it's not funded by the state. Um, your food and your clothing, your survival uh, depends on your outside network. And so Philippi, the, the Christians at Philippi, they're worried about Paul. And we said, we need to tr- send someone to Rome who is trustworthy and capable. Okay? Because Jesus had an accountant too, and that kind of went bad. Okay? So we need someone who's really trustworthy here. And they select Ep. I'm just going to call him Ep because I, it's just the pronunciation, Ep. So he walks six weeks, 800 miles. That's like from L.A. to Portland. <laughs> like he has a backpack of money. Uh, and he almost dies. Like, <laughs> you know, because there's not an embassy suites. There's not even, there's not even a bad motel. Like, he's probably, like, this is a bad hike. And that's just one way, by the way. Like, they're like, hey, uh, after you get better, Ep, um, you can go back to Philippi now. What? Can I just stay here in Rome, please? Um, This is what's beautiful. Um, I would walk 500 miles, right? You know what's amazing about that song? It's like, it's all of this glowing intention, I would totally do this thing for you, but I don't have to, and I won't. Like, this is 800 miles, and he says, I, I have this intention, and I did it. Um, you know what Epaphrodite means? It means from Aphrodite. Ep means from. Ep grew up in an Aphrodite Worshiping home. Aphrodite, goddess of love. And he ran into a love that was bigger than sexual love. 
And it renewed his life so much so. He said, I am going to put other self, I'm going to almost die. And it spreads joy everywhere. There's a third person. Um, in the New Testament, there's a word used to describe God. And the, the, the phrase that you're going to see in the New Testament a lot is blessed God and Savior. Blessed or the blessed Lord Jesus Christ. That's the word that you're going to see. I, I think I know why they translated it that way. Um, but, but do you know what that word is? It's a mishmash of joyful, celebrating, rejoicing, gladness. And they translate it blessed for your, I think I know why, but I'm not going to get into it here. It means this. It means that God's predisposition and disposition on the daily is characterized by what? Joyful, cheerful, gladness, rejoicing, celebration, all on partying within the Trinity. That is his normal disposition. That is the ongoing static disposition of our God is that he is glad and joyful and celebrating and rejoicing. Uh, like that's why the Old Testament uses the language of parties and feasts and because they're like, I want you to get this idea and the only way you're gonna get this idea is if you just enjoy it. Religious people hate parties. Okay, there's one of you, some of you are thinking, yeah, but isn't God sad when I disobey? Um, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. <laughs> Look out. <laughs> but we're not that big of a deal to ruin God's day. It's not like he says, oh, Tim slipped up. I'm mad and grumpy today. Is that Eeyore? I don't know. This is the amazing thing about Jesus. So God's disposition is Hebrews 12 too, talking about Jesus. When we look to Jesus, he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who? For the joy that was set before him, it was guaranteed ahead of him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's you. That's me. We are made whole and complete and rescued, and we're thriving, and we have full gladness with him. All right, the most joyful person ever is enjoying you with him in the future. You're the beloved. You're the beloved. I'm going to ask this question to you. How are you today? Let's pray into that. Jesus, um, you are... Uh, my story, you are my rock, you're my friend, you're my prince, you're my king, you're my provider, you're all of these things, and you are my joy. Let us find that joy in the middle of the difficulty and the darkness, because we need to know that is true when our feelings yell at us and our world yells at us that it's something different. In Jesus' name, amen.